Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Good morning and welcome. This is Brad Furrow and your host on Vermont Viewpoint. Happy Monday to you. Sun yesterday. Did anybody see it? It was quite amazing up there. Uh, we have a great show today. We'll be starting with Megan Sullivan, who's Vice President of Government Affairs with the Vermont Chamber. We're going to talk about all things Montpelier and a little bit more. And then uh, Jim Curley is going to join me. He's with Bourne's Energy. They were Bourne's Energy was named the Outstanding Business of the Year by the Vermont Chamber and Vermont Business Magazine, two very uh, prestigious organizations in Vermont. So what? Quite quite an award and started with uh, Dean C. Davis. At 10 o'clock, Elliot Greenblatt's joining me, and we're going to walk around more fraud. There's tax fraud, uh, Valentine's Day fraud, romance fraud, you name it. It's out there. And then at 10.30, author Brett Ann Stanchu's joining me. Uh, she has a couple books out. She writes a blog, Stony Soil Vermont, which is just an amazing uh, capture of daily life up in the kingdom. And uh, Vermont way. So, uh, pretty cool. Uh, just one note driving in from St. Albans to Waterbury this morning around Richmond. I don't know what you call it, but there was like a, a rainbow, but maybe a snowbow. And it was on both sides of the interstate. It was absolutely brilliantly colorful and beautiful. And I was like, wow, uh, you know, maybe somewhere over the rainbow, we're, <laughs> Something good's going to happen for all of us. That's what we hope. So welcome to the show, Megan Sullivan with Vermont Chamber. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be back. Yeah, it's great having you back. And um, so for our listeners, can you just briefly tell you tell them, tell us what you do, and, and then we'll go from there. Sure. So I uh, work in government affairs for the Vermont Chamber of Commerce. The chamber is the largest statewide business organization in the state, um, and we bring the uh, mission of advancing Vermont's economy to all the work that we do. Um, in my case, that's an advocacy going into the state house every day, talking to legislators about what's top of mind for businesses, weighing in on policy and how it'll affect uh, Vermont's business community. And then we also do that through building community and providing resources. So we have 180 legislators, 150 House members, 30 senators. How, how do you do it? <laughs> well, it's all about relationship building. You know, I think... Um, when everyone's in the building, you get a chance to really get to know people, just like, you know, how Vermonters work in their communities. When you go to community events, you get to know people and you understand you may have um, a difference of perspective, but you're all there for the reason that you're trying to support um, and better Vermont. So you build relationships and that helps build conversation. So the chamber had uh, several initiatives for this uh, session to address can you highlight those a little and then we'll kind of walk into them a bit? Sure. We came into the session really focused on um, housing, you know, always a, a top priority for the last few years as we've seen the housing crisis in Vermont worsen where our employers are having a real hard time retaining and recruiting employees because they just can't find 
the housing that they need in the state. And we've seen it across income levels and industries and all over the state. So we're continuing to focus on how do we improve the housing situation for current Vermonters and new Vermonters coming in. Um, additionally, we're looking at um, understanding Vermont's um, taxing issues that, you know, that we need to prioritize business success. And while we've seen some new initiatives over the last few years, um, those come at a cost. And, you know, businesses in Vermont want to do their part, but they need time to absorb. So we have a $100 million payroll tax coming in July. Um, businesses need time and their employees need time to absorb what that's going to mean um, for their bottom line, for their ability to move forward, um, to plan. Um, so we're saying, you know, before you do anything new, we really need to look at what's already coming. What are people expected to take on? Um, and so that's that's proven to be pretty important this year um, with with lots of new taxing initiatives being um, discussed in our in our taxing committees. And then lastly, it's really looking at flood recovery and mitigation. Um, how do we help those that are still struggling from the flooding that happened this past year, as well as how do we prepare for more weather events like this so we can be resilient in the future? Yeah, and hard to know, you know, what Mother Nature is going to do. Uh, so I want to return to $100 million payroll tax implemented in July. Is that equate to a trickle-down, sort of pass-it-on kind of expense so that – it's really going to be us, the consumers, who are going to see the brunt of that? You know, I think different businesses have to approach it different ways. Um, this is on top of a pretty hard time for business owners who are coming out of COVID and saw, you know, years of um, impact from from that. They did what they were asked to do and in, in shutting down to protect their employees and their community, but it took a toll. Um, high interest rates, um, really big struggles with workforce, you know, 19,000 job openings right now. Um, so businesses, a lot, are really doing their best to hang on. Um, so when that payroll tax come out, it may mean that, um, employees don't see the pay increase that they um, might have otherwise seen. It may seem, um, show that prices go up. Um, we did a survey of members to just see, you know, what does this mean for your business? And we got a, a mix of responses um, about how they were planning to um, try and do the change management um, to get ready for that new tax. So would you say that there is a shift? I'm trying to find some optimism here. Is there a shift in thinking in the legislature at all to look at uh, how to reduce tax costs, like at least not add any more now, and look at the things that you've been advocating for, housing and, and all these other things? Well, I think there is absolutely a discussions going on at looking at housing, um, but there are a lot of committees, and I think our taxing um, committees right now are are looking at new taxing initiatives. Um, you know, things that we have heard just in the last few weeks are um, a wealth tax on higher income Vermonters, um, a unrealized capital gains tax, um, a worldwide reporting tax for corporate tax, a tax on um, sugar sweetened beverages, tax on candy, which includes maple, um, a cloud tax, so that's all the services that you use on the Internet, adding a sales tax to that. Um, questions of should we start taxing 
clothing and groceries, which we don't tax right now. Um, and this is all on top of a, you know, an expected 20% increase in property taxes over this year. So um, I would say we're not really <laughs> spending much time looking at how we reduce the tax burden on Vermont. I'm throwing away that optimism word now. <laughs> well, the good thing is, I think that there's, you know, as these, as these conversations happen, it starts with, you know, let's put everything on the table and, and then it takes, um, folks, you know, really coming and saying, not now. We can't, we can't do this right now. Um, and really explaining why. And it helps, um, bring that into perspective. Um, so we go from this idea phase of, um, what are all the opportunities to, you know, are, is there anything specific that we would, that we need? And, you know, our message is we also need to look at what are the root causes. We have 5,000 first graders in Vermont. That's not a lot of students. Um, and we need to be looking at how do we contain costs? How can we do a better job with the money that we're spending and not just spend more? Is there any talk of cutting programs so they look at spending and say, hey, you know, we're going to have to tighten the belt here and uh, cut something? I think those are going to be the hard conversations when we got all of that federal money that came through from um, after COVID. You know, there was a, a lot of messages saying this is not for new programs. This has to be for one-time expenditures because this is one-time money. Um, but w- what we did see was that programs were created and now there's a desire to maintain them. Um, so it is hard conversations of when we're looking at what can Vermonters afford without um, an influx of federal funds, um, where do we need to make efficiencies? So so those do need to happen. Um, there was a government accountability study that was done this summer that really tried to get to the heart of that. When the legislature passes something, they can't just say, okay, next. They need to look back and say, is it working? Is it working how it was intended? Can it work better with the resources that we've given it? Mm-hmm. So the tax committees, are they just, uh, are they really just diligent bean counters and they're looking at all these expenses that are coming into the state and they're merely trying to figure out how to pay the bills? I mean, I don't, I don't quite get it. Um, I think in some cases there's the, how do we pay our bills? Um, and then in some cases it's how do we, um, pay for the things that we want? So, uh-huh. You know, there was um, last year the payroll tax was to um, help fund uh, more subsidi- subsidies for child care. Um, there was conversations about additional payroll tax this year to pay for a paid family medical leave program. I don't think that conversation is going anywhere at this point. Um, you know, but some of these taxes, the, the wealth tax, um, the unrealized capital gains tax, those are targeted at how do we make Vermont's tax system more progressive so that it's um, the people at the top are paying more. Our message is, you know, one way to do that is to reduce the tax burden on the people in the middle. Um, not just how do we raise taxes on some people, but how do we lower taxes for other um, for other folks? And unfortunately, that that doesn't seem to be part of the conversation. Uh, Megan, you mentioned um, tax Kind of sounds like tax for the rich. Um, is there any consideration I sort of understood over the years that the rich have legs and can walk away? Uh, is that a concern? I, you know, I think it is. I think committees have been hearing about, um, you know, what could be the impacts. And, and so we're talking about, 
um, a 3% surcharge uh, for anyone with an income of over $500,000. Um, you know, and I think part of the worry there is there's, you know, a lot of business owners in the state who may be um, reaching an age where they want to sell their business. Um, and it's a, you know, I think a great opportunity to bring, to bring new people into the state to help that demographic to be, to buy these, uh, businesses that have a great, um, history, um, and that can take it over. Um, but if that business income, if that, that income for the year is going to have a heavy tax, you know, I was talking to one business owner who said, you know, my accountant said, before I sell my business, I absolutely have to move out of the state of Vermont. It is just not a place where I can stay um, and be able to retire and live for the rest of my life. Um, and it is a demographic that can move. I mean, these are these are folks that have the means to be able to leave. When you already have the top 10 percent of earners in Vermont paying 50 percent of our taxes, um, you know, that. That's a demographic we heavily rely on to provide the services that we need for our most vulnerable citizens. Um, and I, so I think we have to be really careful when we're talking about adding additional taxes, um, from those folks. Um, I think people in Vermont are, are willing to pay taxes. They want to pay to live in a nice place that takes care of its citizens. Um, but there is a breaking point where, where you ask, can I, you know, make it, uh, retire when I need to retire and then continue to live a life that I want to live um, if I stay here. Um, and it's an important question to ask. There are some folks who say, well, you know, they really move because of the weather. Um, there are a lot of factors that weigh in, but this is certainly one of them. Yeah. So jumping over to, is it a sugar tax or a sweeten? There, there are a couple that are being discussed. One is a... Um, a tax on sugar sweetened beverages. So think soda, juice. This is, uh, would be two cents, uh, tax, um, uh, per ounce, which is, you know, it's an reg- a regressive tax. It's not a tax that, um, when we're talking about how do we want our tax system to work, um, a regressive tax like that is typically not something that you want to go for. Um, and two cents seems pretty minimal, but if you're talking about, you know, uh, two liters of soda that if you're going to get a special at the, at the, um, pizza joint and you get the two liters of soda, that's an additional dollar thirty on, um, on your soda. And for our restaurants that, you know, are operating, um, uh, soda machines to make, to make drinks for their customers, uh, that's a, that's a pretty substantial new cost that they've got to, to bear when they're ordering those, um, those beverage systems. Is this a social tax as well? Is it don't consume sugar folks? Yeah, that's certainly part of it is, you know, taxing things that, um, aren't as healthy. Um, so we're seeing that with, the sugar sweetened beverage tax idea, as well as taxing candy more, um, sort of aligned with, you know, let's tax um, cigarettes, but a little bit more extreme, I would say. Um, the the tax on cigarettes is to um, help pay for the, the systems that, um, that, that we know the health conditions that are caused. But, um, you know, it's these ways to raise taxes. Again, I think we really need to be, again, looking at, where are our costs coming from and how do we do more with what we have? Yeah. Let's jump over to education. Uh, people are hearing some 
horrendous uh, amounts of increase in school taxes. Yeah, I think they it had uh, looked like 18.5%. That figure has now turned to 20.5%. Um, a 20.5% increase on your property taxes is a huge hit in one year um, and isn't isolated. I think last year we saw an 8% increase, so that's that's a lot. And that 20% um, is looking at, at Homestead, and we know um, – when Act 127 was passed, um, which changes how student waiting is done, um, it created a cap for communities to say, you know, if you're if you go over five percent, um, we'll cap you there um, within ten percent. And so there are some communities who have some school districts who have said, well, we're over five. And we can spend up to 10. We should do some of those important projects that we've had to do. And, you know, we certainly can't blame them for doing that. Um, but what it leads to is a lot of additional costs and figuring out where to put that. Um, and likely, um, if we don't do anything, that's going to come on to non-residential. So think landlords, which will be passed down to renters um, and business owners. So they could be seeing a much higher than 20% increase. Um, so this is a huge problem that needs to get a lot of attention very quickly. Is this, are we talking schools are going like we've got deferred maintenance? Is that the primary thing? Or are they trying to add students or programs or what are you hearing? You know, I can, um, I'll, you know, I'll mention my school district. I live in um, Jericho and we got a letter that said we're over 5%. So we're going to uh, do some work on our HVAC system. Um, so it was really a capital expense um, that they were deciding to cover in order to get up closer to that 10% since it wouldn't um, it wouldn't affect their cap. So um, I think it depends on the school system. Some school systems are saying, you know, these are real costs that we have specific to this um, this change to our uh, higher health care costs, our new teachers contract interest rates. Um, but I think like a business, you have to make choices and sometimes those choices are hard. Um, and I think at a state level, we also need to do that. When we have 5,000 students look at um, the level of expenditures we're making and make tough decisions. Quite amazing. And it sounds like, you know, when you send out a newsletter, it's not exactly there's not shame involved. You're, you're just taking advantage of something that exists, a system. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's um, we do have uh, aging infrastructure all over the place. So um, looking at those opportunities, I don't think any school district would be blamed for that. But at the end of the day, we need to realize that there is an impact from that spending. That money doesn't just come out of nowhere. Someone's going to have to cover the cost. Right. Uh, we're talking with Megan Sullivan, who is with the uh, Vermont Chamber. Let's jump over to that uh Act 250 thing. Uh, what, what's going on there? Any, any light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah. Last time I was on, we talked about the study that happened this summer and fall, um, to look at how to do Act 250 differently. Um, and, you know, I'll say that there's a lot of conversation in the state house about that. There are actually three committees <laughs> looking at three bills, um, which can be pretty confusing to have, uh, three different bills all getting attention. 
Um, but they are all sort of focused on this idea of location-based jurisdiction that we're, we're incentivizing housing to be built in areas in and around our, our downtowns, um, including areas that, um, may be green spaces now, but that are out of a floodplain, really looking at how do we build for a resilient future. Um, and then in those, um, Undeveloped areas, looking at how do we incentivize more densely built housing. Um, and then in some areas, you know, how do we really try and minimize develop where we have our um, highest priority natural resources? So, you know, I think legislators are really at the table, um, which is what we're asking them to do. Um, we're seeing folks committed to this. The devil's going to be in the details. Um, we know that we need to make it easier to build housing in the places where we um, want housing. So, you know, we're going to stay at the table. I testified in one committee three times last week to really talk about um, some of these details of how do we meet our housing targets. Um, it's not just Act 250, but that's um, certainly a big piece of it. And do you feel you're heard? I think I am, yeah. I think, you know... It, the study that happened this summer um, that brought um, myself as well as conservation groups, housing builders, developers, architects um, to the table, um, we came out with a compromise that I think was further uh, towards a real compromise than we've seen in years on Act 250. Um, and there's a lot of respect in the state house right now for the work that was done on that. So I think everyone that was involved is really being brought to the table to try and work out this next level of details. There is still a lot to be done. Um, you know, it may not all be able to happen this session. Um, but certainly I think work that happens this session with direction to continue working on it, um, would be a great outcome. We're down to about a minute, but what do you, do you advocate for uh, people call your legislators and, and weigh in on this? I always think that community engagement with legislators is really important. They need to hear from um, their constituents um, as well as, you know, feel free to call me. Um, I'm happy to talk to community members and business owners about what is um, happening and what their thoughts are and engage them in the process. Yeah. So Megan Sullivan at the Vermont Chamber, you can find her contact information on their website. Uh, we're going to crossover is coming. Uh, we're going to want you back in March and, right. and we want you to come with a smile and tell us that you've, you've, there's hope. All good things. <laughs> All right. Well, I really appreciate you being here, uh, and we'll uh, t talk more in March about uh, the progress. Thanks, Great. Megan. Thanks so much, Brad. This is Brad Furlan, Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV here in historic Waterbury, Vermont. We'll be back after this with the Outstanding Business of the Year Award. Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group, we're more than just radio. Good morning and welcome back. This is Brad Furlan, your host for Vermont Viewpoint here at WDEV in Waterbury. Interesting discussion with... Uh, Megan, uh, it really is beneficial to get in touch with your legislators and let them know how you feel about things. Uh, give them a sense of, you know, if you feel like the taxes are too high or whatever it is, just uh, 
this is what we have in Vermont, a democracy. So uh, my next guest, very excited. He is uh, representing uh, Bourne's Energy, which was named Outstanding Business of the Year for the state of Vermont by the Vermont Chamber of Commerce and Vermont Business Magazine. And I welcome Jim Curley to the show. Good morning, Brad. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. So Bourne's Energy gets this um, amazing award. Uh, can you just briefly or tell us a little bit about Bourne's Energy? I know you're you're like a 75-year-old company. Yeah, we're actually in year 77, uh, 1947. Uh, Bob and Julie Bourne um, started up this company and, um, you know, we're now a company of 110 employees serving uh, central and uh, northern Vermont um, in the energy business, um, keeping people warm and comfortable. So did uh, the founders start with horse and wagon? And <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I wasn't here, so yeah. <laughs> could be. Um, and so what about the, the products that you, that you service customers with? Yeah, so we are a full-service um, propane, heating oil, wood pellets. Um, we take care of pretty much anything thermal that will keep your home warm or cool. Um, we sell biofuels. Um, we try to focus on high-efficiency equipment and, um, you know, we're, we're looking actually for – um, folks to buy less so that they can, um, you know, have better equipment that, that will serve their home well. Yeah, I saw, I think, a uh, slogan, give use less, give more. Yeah. Uh, so it applies to – so you're a company that obviously you, you get this award from the chamber. Um, you've, you've transitioned from, from just an – what might be called an oil burning sort of mentality to really an environmental uh, company. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, there's a lot of uh, um, negative conversations about fossil fuels out there. Um, we're trying to get ahead of that. We're out there um, pushing new products that are um, better for the environment that, We'll still keep your homes warm. You know, at the end of the day, I drove in this morning. It's 12 degrees out there, and um, we we have to have a way to keep these homes um, comfortable during the all, all times of the year. Right, and it's not like you can just magically transition all of Vermont to something from something, right? No, no, it's uh, it's it has to be a balanced approach. We have to be realistic and practical about. Um, the environment that we live in, um, the climate that we live in, and, um, you know, keeping those folks, those customers out there that we serve um, comfortable in their homes. Yeah. And so Borns has taken on really a diversification approach, I'm, I'm guessing, and you're selling multiple energy products and services versus what maybe you did 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, the, the traditional company would be, um, would have started out with heating oil. Um, and that was the go-to. That's what people heated their homes with. And, and, um, we've evolved into, uh, propane. We've now evolved into renewable propane. 
um, biofuels. Um, the biofuels include uh, B99, which is a liquid um, heating oil um, made from recycled um, grease that you would have in um, commercial kitchens and restaurants around the state of Vermont. It's recycled, refined, and um, we're burning it in um, traditional heating oil equipment. Um, you know, and then, and, and then we're also pretty large, uh, footprint now in the wood pellet sector, um, within the state of Vermont, which has, um, you know, again, another renewable fuel, um, taking care of our local loggers, um, forest folks and, um, local mills. Um, we, we work with, um, mills only here in the Northeast, um, we try to stay as local as possible and support those um, that live around us and work with us. So is uh, it's funny you say that because I had a um, tomorrow I have a guest of an arborist who was on my road looking for a place to put wood chips that he had cut, cut down ash that was with the ash borer. Uh, are, are, the, is that part of the product? The wood chips is, is part of this or, or not? Yeah. I mean, there, there's different, um, uh, species of wood. A lot of the wood that is used for wood pellets is actually the scrap, the stuff that people don't want, want. Um, the wood pellets that we primarily sell are a hundred percent soft wood pellets. So a lot of pine, um, then also a blended pellet, a, a softwood, hardwood pellet, um, and it's all a preference of what the customer's looking for, um, what burns best in their equipment and, uh, where they find the, the best efficiency. And what about the biofuel? I don't even know if I understand fully what that means. Yeah. So it's, it's a really cool product. There's, uh, there's some pessimism out there with folks, um, that it's never going to work. We've been, we've been using biofuel, uh, for probably going on 15 years now. Um, we blend it. Um, in Morrisville, we have a blending plant there that we built. Um, we blend it with traditional fossil fuels, and we also sell uh, pure 100% uh, bio, which is, like I said earlier, a recycled um, fat, you know, the grease. Okay, yeah. So, you, I mean, environmentally, that sounds very positive because the grease isn't going, you know, into the environment other ways. It hopefully is being consumed and mixed in. Yeah, 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 it's not a, um, you know, it's been a really good thing, and um, we've seen a lot of positives from it. And the pellets are um, are pellet stoves, sort of in the movement of of cleaner environmental energy. Is that part yeah. of it? Yeah. So there, I mean, there's pellet stoves. There's also whole heating systems. We have furnaces and boilers that we install and service um, that people are heating their homes, their schools, their businesses. Um, you know, with a, it has a great big, uh, bin usually outside or in the basement. Sometimes you'll see a silo next to a building. Um, and, and we fill those up with a great big delivery truck, just like your oil truck and except that has pellets in it. And that customer is able to burn wood and, um, heat their homes and their businesses here in Vermont. Yeah. So this award, uh, spoke to a lot of different criteria, service to the community and, and sort of the giving of a company, um, your environmental uh, approach, uh, you know, as an oil company moving forward in Vermont, which all these positives, uh, 
it must have been a feel like a great honor to to receive this award. Yeah, it's a huge honor. I mean, it it, it speaks to the um, every single uh, employee that works for us at, at Bourne's Energy. We're a great team. Um, we're embedded in our communities. It, it's part of the fabric. It's part of what we're made of. You know, we do a lot of volunteering um, in the communities that we serve. We deal with uh, Meals on Wheels. We took on a big step with Meals on Wheels during COVID um, when people were isolated. We had, um, you know, as an essential business, we were one of the ones that were able to still be out working. And um, we chose to make that part of our, our model as well. So, you know, we had delivery drivers and office staff and others that were bringing meals to less uh, fortunate or, you know, more vulnerable people, people that weren't able to get out and about and do their shopping. And, um, you know, it was a a really, really, I guess, a silver silver lining for us uh, for for a bad time. Um, But we try to um, involve our employees in, um, you know, everything that we do um, as far as – like, for example, uh, at Thanksgiving, we'll do a food drive um, where the company will match dollar for dollar. Um, we do turkeys. Uh, we, we used to always – we used to deliver turkeys. Now we we write checks um, just because the food shelf seems to – they seem to appreciate being able, able to manage that better as opposed to me showing up with a dump truck full of – Cold turkeys. Um, You're not dropping them from helicopters like no, the old TV show. No. So it's yeah, it's it's been really good. Um, I'm talking with Jim Curley. He is with uh, Bourne's Energy, and they have uh, won the award for outstanding business of the year uh, from the Chamber of Com- Commerce and Vermont Business Magazine. Uh, so great honor, Jim, and it. You know, it's, it's an earned honor, obviously. And, and can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like, um, you were involved, the company was involved in flood relief, I believe. Yeah, we were. You know, July was a, a rough time for a lot of folks here in our territory here in Vermont. And, um, we, you know, it was all hands on deck where there were calls for propane tanks floating down the river. Um, you know, people that were, um, stuck in their homes and, you know, we, we, we had people out in kayaks, um, floating around in the downtowns. We were even here, right here in Waterbury, um, grabbing these tanks and, and, and tying them. Um, and it didn't matter if it was ours or competitors. It was, um, trying to do the right thing, um, trying to keep our community safe and, um, you know, and then, and then, like I was saying earlier with our, our Thanksgiving drive, we also did a, um, a drive to help those that were in need. And, and our, once again, our employees stepped up and the company matched dollar for dollar again. So we like to try to give back to those communities that are good to us. Yeah, for sure. Um, now you, you're telling me off air, you're a Montpelier boy and, um, were you, uh, have you done every part of, of, of the job? Have you been in the trucks and been on the road and all that? I have, you know, I, uh, um, driven trucks for years. Um, you probably don't want me to fix your boiler, um, <laughs> but I can get you the fuel. <laughs> and you don't want me fixing my boiler either. No, you stay away from it. Uh, so, uh, 
equipment has evolved, obviously. People, you know, Vermont was wood and oil for, for, you know, a long, long time. And I, I still have wood heat in my house, which I love and, uh, burn oil. I'm in a 150 year old farmhouse. Um, how does somebody like me or, or, or people in my, you know, world, how did they sort of shift over to the new world? Yeah. So I, I think take it slow. Um, take a practical look at what your home is and what it can do. Insulation, efficiency, sealing things up. Um, we, you know, we do a lot now in the heat, heat pump industry or installations of, um, of putting these units in so that people can have, um, an alternate source for heat, but also for cooling. And, um, you know, when they started out the, the heat pump technology, um, most of our customers were buying them because they wanted air conditioning in their houses. Now with programs through Efficiency Vermont, um, people are sealing their homes up, um, and they're able to use these, these, uh, this technology, um, you know, further into the shoulder season, I would call it. Um, you know, there's some folks out there that would like to say that this is, you know, an absolute fix for everything. And, um, I'm not one of them. Um, I'm going to look at it as, um, if you got an oil boiler or a propane boiler in your house, leave it there. Let's have backup plans. Let's make sure that we're responsible and we're taking care of each other and, um, your property, you know, let's not freeze those things up. Um, we can't, um, 100% count on the electric grid all the time and people need to stay warm. Yeah, for sure. And it really, uh, required your company to have a whole education, uh, approach internally as well, right? You, you go from one industry where you've branched out to all these other things. Yeah, we've had to. I mean, it's, it's been a situation where, um, you know, we've got to, we've got to respond to what the customer's asking for. And, um, there's a demand, there's a need. And, um, there's a lot of these, um, systems that are going in and, and that's a good thing. Um, like I said, I just, I, I would just encourage folks to, uh, stay dialed into the climate that we live in and, and be responsible. Yeah. Um, the practical side of, uh, you know, it's a mix, right? That's what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Keep it, keep a blend. Yeah. 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 Um, so what are you most proud of with Bourne's Energy? You know, you've been there for a number of years. What are the things that you really um, feel proud about? You know, um, it's our staff. We have, we have the greatest staff. We have 110 employees, um, that come to work every day to take care of their neighbors and to do a good job for us. They're our friends, their family, their, um, they're everything and they care. They care about, um, our customers. You know, our, we're serving 17,000 customers now in central and northern Vermont and it's important to everybody that works for Bourne's Energy that those, those folks are being taken care of. So I take a lot of pride in knowing that we have a great team, um, with people that treat this company like it's their own and they come to work ready to go every single day. And that's what makes me the most proud, I would say. Yeah. And I, I read that you as a company encourage, you establish a scholarship for Miss Teen Vermont participants. 
and it's not the sort of the if there's such a thing as the as the beauty part of a pageant it's to encourage young women to go into careers right yeah i mean it's it's really cool how these pro, these uh pageants have evolved into not just you know not just a pretty girl it's it's everything it's deep it's it's about their true personalities and who they are and what they want to be and we encourage folks that um want to uh, follow in the technical trades and um, be involved in, and Miss Vermont has, or Miss Team Vermont has that element to their program. We do a lot with um, the tech schools as well. Um, I would say we probably still have seven, I would call kids um, that are now grown, you know, adults that have evolved into very, very qualified technicians and, it's been our involvement in those tech schools and being part of that um, from the ground up uh, look that has brought these folks along and made them leaders within our industry. And, you know, another thing that I think that our company can be really proud of. Yeah. So the workforce development piece, getting them at, a, at the high school age and showing them a career path, is that... Yeah, I mean, you know, college isn't for everybody. Yeah. And these, um, there's a place for everybody. And, um, this, this industry has provided a lot of really good paying jobs for folks that, um, you know, want to make a difference and, and are very, uh, um, you know, talented. And are you seeing more young women coming into the trades? We, we do. We get women, um, and, and they're some of our greatest employees. Um, we currently have, um, a female driver and she kills it. She's awesome. She does a great job out there. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm reminded I, I do one of my hats is working with, uh, substance use addiction. And when we get these kids, in high school and we give them a purpose and a job and pride and with a company like Bourne's Energy, it's, it's keeping them away from the things that we don't want them attending to. Yeah. It's, it's huge. And, and, you know, I would encourage kids that are out there that aren't sure what they want to do to take a look what in, you know, whatever a trade may look like. There's, there's, there's so much opportunity and it's rewarding every single day to fix something and to, um, see that smile on a customer's face that they're, uh, you know, in a better place than they were, you know, earlier in the day when something was broken. It's, uh, it's a great path, a lot of opportunities, and I would encourage folks to take a look. I would encourage schools to be dialed into those kids too and, um, make sure that we're giving folks all their options and, and what's, what's the best path for them. Definitely. And, and like you said, uh, college is not for everyone, but above and beyond that, these are great careers. People can do very well at them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've got guys driving brand new vans out there full of tools and, um, they like to show them off. So if you see a Bourne's truck, uh, um, well, maybe, maybe not looking all of them, but they, they, <laughs> they do a good job and they're really proud of what they do. So we're talking, uh, with Jim Curley, uh, Bourne's Energy was the outstanding, is the outstanding business of the year, uh, for the state of Vermont, a Dean C. Davis award originally, uh, Vermont Chamber of Commerce, Vermont Business Magazine, uh, just a great honor. You know, it just, 
to to win in my mind to to win this honor as a, as a, a fuel oil dealership in in Vermont is just like over the top great. Yeah, thanks and thanks for having us, Brad. It's uh, it is an honor, and we're really proud of our team, and we're gonna keep going. Awesome. Uh, we will be back after this. This is Brad Furlan, uh, Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV. Thanks for being with me, Jim. Thanks a lot, Brad.